Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hi everyone and welcome back to episode 17 of the Tuesday Night Podcast Club. As always, I'm your host Jess and this week I'm going to be talking about Instant Genius. Okay, so I'm going to be honest here, I was going to take my chances and release an episode covering a Liverpool podcast this week, as in a Liverpool football podcast. I'm hoping when you're hearing this, we've won number seven in Paris. However, I didn't want to jinx it, so that record is being put off till next week. And this week, I'm going to talk about Instant Genius. It's Friday, my nerves are it's Friday the 27th of May and Liverpool are about to go and do number seven please so that being said we've either won it or we haven't now when you're in this and I'm going to calm down and talk about something else for the next half an hour <laughs> okay just needed to get that off my chest guys big day Hannafin, don't know why, great team. I'm going to stop talking about football now because I know it will irritate people who don't like football or don't like Liverpool or both. So, I wanted to do something a bit science-based for a long time because I was always so rubbish at science at school. I hated it and I just didn't really bother trying because I wasn't that engaged by it, which begs belief why I chose two social sciences at a level, but I digress. This podcast is actually really good for getting me learning about scientific things I'm actually interested in. Not photosynthesis or whatever, no shade if that's your thing, you go, but for real. This podcast is teaching me the science I'm interested in and I'm making me feel less clueless when it comes to those topics. There's episodes on the concept of gravity, which is scary. Dog neurological behaviours, I mean, come on, get me in there with the dogs. Mental shortcuts, brain wandering, poisons, time and sleep. There really is a bit of something for everyone if you take the time to look. Now the first thing first, I'm not into health and fitness. However, this episode I'm going to cover is about eating for your brain because mental health is pivotal for us all. And I'm not about to become a gym bore, but I joined the gym like a month ago and I've really got into it lately and I want a hot girl summer. That being said... I have a rubbish diet most of the time. I like eating out. I love pizza, anything with carbs, a snack all the time. And I need to cut those fizzy drinks out again. And I know I'm not the only person that's got a bad relationship with food. So I thought this episode could help me and someone out there become an instant genius in the science of eating for your brain. The podcast is a BBC Science Focus magazine production. And every episode is usually about 30 minutes long with an expert, special guest joining the host, Alice Lipscomb-Southwell, the managing editor of Focus magazine. So it's not an overwhelming and lecture-like in length, but plenty of knowledge squished in. So let's get into the app. 
Okay, so how I'm going to do it is section it up into the information categories that we're told about uh, throughout this episode. I don't know if that makes sense, but it will as I talk. And as always, obviously, I've googled everything that I learned along the way because I'm an obsessed weirdo. So I've gathered all the understanding, the lay terms together to deliver to you. Can you tell I'm giddy today? Host Alice is joined on the episode by Kimberly Wilson, a psychologist, nutritionist, and a finalist from the Great British Bake Off. So we're in safe hands here, guys. She likes cake. Sorry before I go on any longer, I have just got to mention the house is decorated with football flags. So if you can hear them flapping in the background, I am sorry about that. They won't be there on the next record, but they're not going down to go back up. It's the final tomorrow. I'll post a picture on the Instagram to show you what the house looks like. Okay, so lesson number one. The first thing Alice asks Kimberly is how can food affect our mental health? She tells us that our brains, shock to me this, are literally made of food. Part of what our mums were eating as we were being fucked is reorganised into cells that help a baby grow. Brains are made up from nutrients that you can only get from your diet, like omega-3 fatty acids, which form 30% of our outer brain matter, so that when we're not getting enough of those in our diet, our brain functions straight away become compromised. Serotonin comes from protein, we need calcium, B12, iron, all of these dietary groups help nurture our brain. How mad's that? You literally are what you eat. We all know that, but it's not just a moment on the lips, a lifetime on the hips. It's also sometimes super bad for our brain. There's compounds in some food that give us immediate bursts of energy, like alcohol or coffee, and they can affect us and the way our brains function straight away, which when you think of it that way, what is it doing to us to have such a weird immediate effect? And this is why I don't like science, because it's all too real. Obviously, these are more short-term effects that later cause crashes or being too drunk to literally function. But it is crazy how caffeine might make you more focused or awake straight away and alcohol relaxes us. Our brain is so complex. Kimberly does say, as with most things in biology, when it comes to if eating causes poor mental health or poor mental health causes eating badly, (laughs) it's a bit of both which she describes as sort of like a feedback loop of mood impaired and food traces so when you're suffering from low food you might get pleasure from eating nice but bad foods which I feel this I like to be as open as possible about my long-suffering mental health problems and I'm definitely guilty of eating bad things when I'm down which might pick me up for an hour or so but as she says it then has feedback loop of another bout of low moods from eating overly processed or high carb foods basically it's all short-term energy that we receive from them which is great in the moment but overall it's worse for the mind she does mention how more recently new zealand have added diet and exercise to the list of treatment for mental health disorders in their country which before you come for me I know it can be too expensive for some people or too time consuming or just not in the realm of possibility for them, which I hate. 
when people say like, oh, maybe going for a walk will help. It's like saying, oh, cheer up. In my opinion, for a good diet and exercise really can help aid in the healing process or recovery of someone struggling with the mental health. I think that's what she's getting at. And I agree. When I do eat better, my moods are often a lot more reflective of that. Outside factors aside, I also feel so much less lethargic of a morning if I've eaten a healthy meal the night before for tea or dinner, if you're fancier than me. Okay, so lesson number two from the episode. If foods can affect our mental health, what foods can help with those conditions? She tells us in the acute stage, eating well isn't going to change things overall instantaneously. However, studies have proven that over time, like 8 to 12 weeks, improving your diet can improve your mood. She suggests those fatty acids, omega-3s, like oily fish, leafy green vegetables and polyphenol foods, like bright fruit and veg, especially berries. They will increase the flexibility of our blood vessels, which in turn lets more blood flow through. And basically, our brain is a greedy, hungry organ. It goes through loads of nutrients, energy and glucose. So a good blood supply helps the brain do all of that easily. Basically, it really is an apple a day or five a day or is it seven now? I don't know. But I actually do love fruit and veg, so I'm satisfied I'm helping my little brain on its daily duties. Obviously, fish was a big one for Kimberly in what she said for brain health. But helpfully, Alice asks, what about us vegetarians or even the vegans? What can they have? She recommends an algae-based omega-3 supplement, which I had to Google what that was because, not going to lie, sounds disgusting. Turns out it's just like, you know, your usual seaweeds, Brussels sprouts, chai seeds, that sort of thing. Basically, get some of that or a meal of oily fish down you once a week for the sake of your brain, will ya? I won't ask you again. I want us all to have a healthy little algae-rich brain. Alice also asks if there's any acute foods that will help us day-to-day, i.e. quick bursts of energy when we need them, that aren't a sugary snack or a strong coffee, but actually helpful to the brain. And essentially, get a big berry smoothie down you as well, or fresh orange juice. Because then polyphenol foods are key, apparently, gang. She also says if you need that bowl of ice cream or a glass <clears throat> bottle of wine, it's not the end of the world. Just don't make it a routine or overly regular. Now, I've got to be the bit of the bad news here, though. There is a list of foods that, if you are being strict, shouldn't cross your lips for your brain's sake. Fizzy and energy drinks are top of that list. They're horrific, so... I've added up and I because I've got a love affair with them and I need to do something about it. Now, I did mention the cost element of healthy eating earlier. I'm not from a wealthy family. There's definitely been times where processed food financially was the realistic option. But Kimberly recommends that there are cheaper ways of fruit and veg consumption, which are just as good, like frozen fruit and veg. She recommends especially frozen berries and spinach, which we do use a lot in my house. So... I can concur, they're just as good. I have them with yoghurt, in smoothies, even on Sunday roast sometimes. They're so much cheaper than fresh and 
They're frozen at the peak ripeness, so they're as good as. Also, the cheaper tinned fishes, fruits and veg. It doesn't always have to be the fresh expensive stuff that goes off easily. So the third thing that we learn in this episode is actually so interesting. Alice asks Kimberly how can institutional diets affect negative behaviours. Now Kimberly's written a book called How to Build a Healthy Healthy Brain and she's a big advocate for how the diet of people, particularly in prison, can affect the behaviour of the prisoners, especially the reduction of prisoner violence. Which, I mean, if that is proven by studies, which it is, it's a no-brainer. For whatever reason people have ended up in prison, the time spent inside is intended for rehabilitation. And if diet is a part of that, then it should be looked at. Why wouldn't we want to reform these people completely? A lot of people who commit crimes suffer with many forms of mental health disorders. I'm not making anyone excuses or saying, let's say a prisoner... Mitchell and Star meals, but fruit, veg, and fish doesn't seem to be a horrendous place to start for prisoner reform, does it? Kimberly firstly mentions a study called the Ellsbury Study, which was published in 2002, that looks at violent young males being held at a young offenders institute. In the trial, they've done a blind study of a placebo group and a group taking actual nutrients, and after the 8 to 12 week period that they were doing so, those taking the real supplement had a 37% less objective incidence of violence, which means less literal notices of activity. So things that the guards have had to actually write up, physical altercations, threatening officers, barricading themselves into cells, not just how do you feel on a scale of 1 to 10 of anger for today, it literally decreased real violence. There's been international replicas of this study performed and all had the same findings of lower levels of violence. So, honestly, it's proven to have something behind it and that's key. Again, touchy subjects before anyone comes for me. And no, this wouldn't rehabilitate all offenders. Some people are where they belong and, in my opinion, deserve to rot there. Also, on the other extreme, not all prisoners are violent. However, all prisoners who will be released back into into society or even have a chance of coming out should be eaten to help the brain. As I've said, prison is supposed to be about reform and that's complete reform. Letting out an offender, trusting that they won't re-offend and end up back inside. That's what it's about, so... If changing the diet to avoid depression, because I don't imagine it's nice in there either, reduce violence and help reform, then I'm all for it. Prison systems across the world, including that in the UK, could take some looking at, but in the meantime, something as simple as switching up the meals could be a little help in the process. Also, this could actually help reduce the violence towards prison staff, who have statistically decreased morale due to the risk of violence in their job. This has then got the ability to have positive, positive, I can't speak today, effects in other institutions like schools or hospitals, helping aid in the healing of patients or the concentration and brain functions of children. Basically, if we're feeding people anyway, 
why not knocking a bit of nutrition? Jamie Oliver took a hate hit from our generation for wanting us to have one healthy meal a day at school and the country acted like the world had come to an end, passing chippies and McDonald's over school gates at lunchtime as a fuck you to the establishment as though we wouldn't be able to go from breakfast to tea without an enormously greasy, fatty meal from McDonald's. What was that all about? So lesson number four kind of fits in with lesson number one. Alice asks if there are any food that pregnant women can eat to help with the development of unborn babies' brains. So Kimberly says that lots of nutritional deficiencies in pregnant women go unnoticed, like omega-3 again, which apparently we really need. Iodine, like milk, which helps a child's IQ. Iron, which plays a role in our neurotransmitters, which basically control our entire being. Us girls really drew the short straw when it comes to everything. Lacking so many vital nutrients, carrying babies, the list is endless. These nutrients are also helpful though in conception, which is something a lot of people do struggle with. So according to Kimberly, increased chances of fertility come from a better nutrient-filled diet. But when we're pregnant, we do need to take on twice as many nutrients because you really are eating four till. The next thing we learn is from Alice's question, what are the smallest changes that we can make to see the biggest difference? Of course, in different people, different nutrients are lacking or required, so it'd be a case-by-case basis. But Kimberly loves omega-3s, she mentions them so much. In fact, I've ordered some supplements because I feel like I'm doing life all wrong. Basically, they are one of the biggest forms of our brain matter and the lack of omega-3 in diet recorded in the UK is less than four times the recommended amount to consume weekly. It's important, okay? We need to be taking at least supplements if not eating these omega-3 rich foods to see a decrease in our increasing vulnerability to mental health conditions like social anxieties and depression. Another thing she does mention is it's never too late to make a change. No one is too old. Cases have shown increasing the intake of omega-3 and other recommended nutrients can delay or even prevent conditions such as Alzheimer's disease and help brain aging slow down. So finally, the last lesson of this episode and the last thing that Alice asks Kimberly is what three things does she wish people knew about food and mental health? I'll just say them as she does. Number one, she wishes that people knew their brain was made of food, which I was today years old when I learned. Two, we need more than tyrophon amino acids to improve our serotonin. In fact, we need a broader scale of nutrients to improve our mood. And number three, stress depletes our nutrients. Looking after the way we eat will give us more stress resilience, helping subsequent mood and anxieties. So guys, I'm actually shocked. I really enjoyed that. I feel like a bit of an instant genius in eating after it. 
I'm definitely going to make some small changes for my own diet at the expense of my taste buds. I'm definitely going to be cutting out fizzy drinks again and adding that omega-3 to my diet. I'm going to give this show a four because science is still scary and a little bit too real for me, but I feel like I've achieved something and I can make a positive change to my life, which is definitely a good result to come out of a podcast. So go and give it a listen. Thank you so much for listening to episode 17 of the Tuesday Night Podcast Club. Please remember to subscribe, follow, like, rate and review wherever you listen. And I'll see you next week. Bye. And up the reds.